Uh, great to be with you. If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Go to Luke chapter 9. We are uh, finally hitting chapter 9 uh, in this great gospel we've been walking through together. Uh, if you're visiting new, first time, second time, recently uh, been involved with gathering with us here, just want you to know we're, we're just super glad that you're with us. We uh, just look at this as very simply a worship service where we worship Jesus, and we really believe what we sing is true, that, that Christ is really all that we have. I mean, He is our life, He is our forgiveness of sin, He is our Savior, He is our uh, rescuer, He's our Redeemer, He is our Lord. The list could go on and on and on and on and on uh, to talk about who Jesus is, which is why we always say, um, half-jokingly, mostly seriously, that the name you're going to hear here uh, repeatedly over and over, more than any other name, is the name of Jesus Christ. And so uh, that's why we exist, it's why we are here here to worship him as uh, that very thing, the Savior, Rescue, Redeemer of uh, sinful men, Reconciler to God, and uh, we rejoice in that this morning. So uh, if you're wondering why we're smiling about that, that's why, uh, because that's good news to those who realize they're broken. So uh, we're looking at um, the gospel according to Luke, and so Luke is this writer who is writing uh, about the life and teachings of this Jesus who is the Christ, and so we love reading about him, we love staring at him, and, and we've been in this book for a little while, and we're going to keep uh, just plowing through. We're at Luke chapter 9 this morning, and so Luke 9 is actually a really significant chapter in the book of Luke, and, and here's kind of why. It's kind of the, the door hinge of Jesus' ministry. It's kind of like his halfway mark in his life and teachings of his three-year, three-and-a-half-year ministry, and so what's happening in Luke 9 is he's actually kind of landing the plane on his Galilean ministry, and he's going to eventually, end of chapter 9, turn his face towards Jerusalem and head towards Calvary, head towards the cross, where he will ultimately die and suffer and be buried and rise again for those he will call and ransom to himself. So it is, it is beautiful what we're seeing here. And so this is what we're, we're seeing is this kind of halfway mark of, of all that Jesus has done, is all that Jesus has revealed, of all that he is teaching. And he's kind of ending this Galilean ministry. And so we're going to look at Luke chapter 1. We'll probably get through the first uh, nine verses this morning. And we're coming off of last week where Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead. Okay, now what's significant is you don't get it in Luke, but you get it in Mark. He actually heads back to Nazareth, his hometown, and the people hate him so much. They hate so much that Jesus reveals your spiritual condition, that you are sinful, born by, na sinner, born by nature, a, a sinner from birth, and by who you are, not just outward actions, but by the, basically the line of Adam. They realize that they're poor, they're blind, they're prisoners, they're oppressed, enslaved by sin. They need a future provision of Jesus Christ to rescue them. They, they hate that so much to try to throw Jesus off a cliff, he eventually comes back and now what he's doing is as he's finishing his Galilean ministry he's going man I need maybe some help to wrap this thing up so he grabs the 12 these apostles who he's going to commission to be sent out to preach and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of God which we're going to see right here now if you remember back in chapter 5 and 6 it's when he kind of rallied them together and called them to join him in this mission in this uh, life of teaching ministry and healing ministry and so he gets the 12 together that's where we're going to pick up here uh, in Luke chapter 9 here's what it says in verse 1 and he that's Jesus he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal and he said to them take nothing for your journey no staff no bag no bread no money and don't even have two tunics Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when, they leave, when you leave that town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And the guys departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Okay, so here's what, what you have to kind of get as a backdrop before you even kind of focus your attention here is, 
All of Jesus' ministry up to this point was just him. Okay, so every sermon that was given was his. Every act of healing was the one that he did. Every bit of accusation and hate came towards him alone. So, so it's just been him and his ministry. So what's going to happen is it's going to expand to where he's basically got these other 12 that are joining him in this proclamation, in these healings, in this advancement of the kingdom of God. So it's no longer just Jesus. He has help who are his 12. And so he commissions these apostles. That just means sent ones, okay? These people to go and tell and preach the kingdom of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so at this point, they're called, they've been, they've been following Jesus. And here's what's so great about leadership or even in church ministry. Just look at how Jesus does it. It's the best model. Okay, so he took guys that were learners for a while, that were followers for a while, and then eventually now he's given them responsibility. But that's any good leadership, right? Take time to see if they're faithful, see if people are humble, see if people will follow well, and then you give them positions of leadership. You, you, you tell them to go out. He's given them this internship, basically, to say, okay, you guys have listened to me. You've paid attention to me. You've learned from me. You've been humble. You've been meek. You've been faithful. Now go. Okay, so there have been different seasons Jesus had of testing people, sending people, and here he has this amazing, amazing commissioning of these 12. And so after their season of basically ongoing discipleship and proving faithful, they're given apostleship, and they go out healing and preaching. Okay, they're healing mostly to validate their message, okay? Because listen, Jesus realizes when you go out and give this message, this, this message of the kingdom, okay, you need something to validate that because you don't have the New Testament scriptures finished yet, okay? So listen, we don't need someone to do a healing to validate a sermon, Okay, the reason why is we know the, the scriptures are the final authority, the final standard of all God has to say. So if you hear a preacher get up, all you got to do is look at the scriptures and go, okay, let me examine it, this, 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 and this. And you, you can actually tell if that's valid or not. Well, they didn't have that, so Jesus says, hey, you're going you're gonna to heal to to validate this sermon. Okay, this, this message. You see Paul in 2 Corinthians say, hey, I was an apostle. It was validated through all the signs and wonders I did. Okay, so, so we see this as part of their ministry as they go and as they preach. They're also healing, right? They're, they're preaching and healing together, and he sent them to preach what? The kingdom of God, which is what? <laughs> the gospel of Jesus Christ, okay? So you can actually just see in Luke, verse 1 and verse 6, he says, Jesus commissioned them to preach the kingdom of God, and then lastly, they went out and preached the gospel, so those are synonymous, okay? And what is the kingdom of God? That God is a king, that he reigns and rules, that there is a kingdom that he will establish, and you can enter that kingdom only through the future provision of Jesus Christ and his personal work on the cross. So you don't enter that kingdom through works, you don't enter that kingdom through morality, you don't enter that kingdom through religious activity, you don't enter that kingdom through prayer life, you don't enter that kingdom through how much you give to the poor or how much you do this, you enter it solely through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. That is the, the great good news of the gospel, right? The good news is not that you get to be a better person. That's awful news if you've ever tried it, okay? So, so the good news is that you can't be good. You can't obtain this kingdom or enter this kingdom or enter this family. You can't live under the gracious rule and reign of the God who's a good God, who's a gracious God who gives good gifts to his kids. You actually need something else to buy you into that. And that's the future work of Jesus Christ, which he's preaching about and teaching about. Now they are going to preach and teach about. So this gospel of the kingdom is not a social message it's not a political message. It's not a therapeutic message. It's not a moral message. It's a message of sin and salvation. That's what it is. And you can be grafted into a new family by the grace and kindness of God. Now, 
this is important for us to get because this central message of the kingdom of God, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, was central to Jesus. It was central to the apostles he sent, which means it's essential to us as his local church. Like, this is what Paul calls in 1 Corinthians 15 of first importance, right? This great message of Jesus living, dying, rising for sin. Now, historically, and I think the evangelical circle, there's a fight to keep it central, right? I mean, you've got people all over the globe, even evangelicalism, even in Protestantism, and they don't really want to talk about blood, don't want to talk about the wrath of God, don't want to talk about sin, don't want to talk about a God who is full authority over all things. We submit to him, that, that we're actually called to enjoy him and called to obey him and called to walk with him. And so we find a lot of other things. What happens is when you, when you don't like that, you make other things the center of what you do and how you live and how you exist. So this gospel of the kingdom, this gospel of Jesus Christ is what we put our flag in the ground. So you have lots of stuff. Liberals, right? I mean, they just love to make lots of other things the center. They like, um, you know, probably mercy ministries or justice to be the center of everything you do. Well, our mercy ministries are, are profoundly good, and we should be out there loving the poor and loving our neighbor. But that's not the center, right? That doesn't replace the good news of Jesus. So we're more about his gospel, which flows out into mercy ministry, than mercy ministry being the end of what we do. Right, you've got fundamentalists, and I don't mean that in the, the good way. Right, they they're, they're just behavior. Just be better. Just do. Just obey. Just Jesus screaming. I've I've done that on the cross for you. Right, so you gladly submit to me, and you you are sanctified by standing in the same gospel you're saved in. You you walk in that. You've got um, people all over the map. We also have. Um, who are the others? Uh, let's see. Oh, postmoderns. This is great. They love love, right? So, so love is just everything. Love is all about love, all about love. Love is good. Yeah, God's all love, all love. Yeah, that's great, but God also did what? John three sixteen. he killed his son. Okay, so there's, there's slaughtering, there's death, there's murder, there's brutality. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not like this pretty picture. Like, it, it's, it's bloody, it's messy, but it brings about beautiful salvation to those who bend their knee to that God who offers his son to be rescued to himself to walk in newness of life. And so here we have Jesus demonstrating what is central to his ministry. We have the apostles demonstrating what is central to his ministry. And we have us seeing what we need to be following behind in. And so, um, brothers and sisters, out of anything we do here, and I know I say it a lot, Let's keep this the center. Okay, let's keep this as the message that we preach and teach and live by and are shaped by. This has to be of first importance. We take good lessons from Jesus and from the apostles and from all of the New Testament. I mean, the foundation of our life together hinges on our understanding of the gospel of the kingdom. It does. I mean, our, our, our existence, our marriages, our discipleship, our community groups, our, our gathering on Sundays hinges on our understanding of the gospel of the kingdom. And, and this is why, look, um, we are, <laughs> we're a circus. I love it. I mean, we, when God birthed Church of Bergen, I'm like, okay, can you give me all kind of, I had like my type, right, in the, in, the, in the journal. And we've got, I mean, out of, out of Catholicism, Anglican, Episcopalian, Methodist, I mean, 
non-denominational, you just don't know where to land. We don't either, so that's why we're non-denominational. You got Baptist, you got Presbyterian. We got, we got all these people thrown together in this room. And listen, we're going to dialogue about gifts. Do they exist? Do they not? We're going to dialogue about homeschooling, not homeschooling. Do we wear head coverings? Now we're head coverings. Should we you know, do this carpet color, black, white, red, green? We're going to dialogue about all those things that we love, but we're also going to stay convictionally in areas that make us who we are as a church. But listen, there's only one flag that we're going to put our stake in the ground and say, no, we're not fearing from this one, and that's this, that Jesus Christ died, rose, lives, adopts, saves, secures in his family, and it's only him who brings us forgiveness of sin. So all those other things are beautiful, right, and godly, and we're going to fight for places on those and walk in unity in those, but, but this is the central piece. So, so this is what we're rallying around. So we've got to be very careful as to where we think we're trying to put our flag in the ground that shouldn't be a flag in the ground and, and walk in kindness and in all of these things. So this is the great news, that wrath of God has been removed, that a sacrifice has been made, that justification has occurred and been given, and righteousness is offered, and reconciliation is available to the God of the universe. Beautiful news. Let's go back to the, to the text. Jesus is then... Um, he's going to make sure they kind of just learn something. Um, this is more of like a teaching lesson as he sends them out. <laughs> this isn't like prescriptive for you, so we'll get to that in a minute. But, but here's what he's basically going to say. I want you to learn that I'm enough. I want you to learn to trust me, right, as, as my sent ones. And, and he gives them, he basically says, okay, here's the rules. Okay, so uh, first one. And this is weird, okay? If you're being sent out, commissioned, right, by the, the, the God of the universe in human flesh, and he's going to tell you to, to go about to do some things, to preach and heal, you probably want to take some stuff with you, right? You're like, okay, if you're going to give me the, the sheet of all the things I want to have, I'm putting all these things that you're telling me not to take on my list, okay? So he says the first thing is um, take nothing. Okay, well, that's not a good start. Okay, I need some things, right? I need probably a, I don't know, your, your, your power, okay? I need, I need all this. But look at what he says. He says, uh, no staff. Now, that's alluding to, they, they would take a staff with them and more like beat robbers off of them. So he's saying, hey, I'm going to protect you. I'm your protection. You don't, you don't need that staff. You're going out under my authority. You're okay. He also says, hey, don't take a bag. A bag is like... I know some of you guys, I don't want to offend you, but there's old fanny packs, you know, that, 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 that people used to wear. Some of you guys still wear them. It's totally cool. Uh, but, but that's what, like, beggars used to wear, and they would, like, stuff money down in them. They would, and so he's basically saying, hey, you're not going to get money for the stuff you do. You're not charging for your ministry, right? You're going to just do this for free. He says, don't take any bread. Basically, I'm going to provide for you. People will provide for you. I'll provide through people. Um, he says, don't take any money. Right, that's significant. I mean, don't you think there'd be a temptation to make much of them in their ministry? Do we not see that today? I mean, how tempting would it be to say, hey, man, I can raise your son from the dead. How much you pay for it? Right? I mean, you want to be healed of your leprosy? Mm, that's 1,000. You know, oh, you have this illness or this disease. That's 2,000. That's... So he wants nothing to hinder their ministry. He's going, hey, you're going to go out. I think Matthew's account maybe talks about, hey, freely give, freely do. So he's just basically teaching them, depend on me, do this for me. He's just demonstrating all of this. Now, some of you might be going, okay, so this is how I'm supposed to go out, right? This, this, is, this is prescriptive for the Christian life. And I just, I just, because I hear this all the time, we, we read verses, we read passages, and this is much more of a teaching. This is not telling you to be some self-righteous martyr. 
Um, Jesus never calls you to go out and forsake everything and go out naked and knock on your neighbor's door. Okay, here, here's what he's getting at. He's teaching these people dependency because if you go later in the Gospel of Luke, he's actually talked to these same guys and say, hey, remember you went out? Remember when I sent you with no staff, no money, no tunic, none of those things? Did I provide for you? Yep. Okay, hey, now when you go out, hey, take some money, take a tunic, hey, buy a sword for protection. Okay, so that's normal, okay? Normal living the Christian life is having wisdom, using your brain, using your feet, acting out wisely, stewarding well. This is, he's trying to teach them a lesson here. This is not prescriptive. This is just descriptive of him sending out the 12 initially to prepare them for ministry. Is that how any good pastor, preacher is trained for ministry? Learn dependency on Jesus? Learn that he's sufficient? Learn that he's good? Is that how any leader under the chief shepherd is, is trained and taught? Yes. And so Jesus is doing this for them. But he's not saying this is the norm. Listen, you selling all your stuff never saved you from sin. You living more poor never made you more righteous. Okay? We've got to be so careful that this prosperity gospel and poverty gospel, we don't use either of them. Right? We walk faithfully as Christians. And so... so He's teaching a lesson, which is why he continues. He goes, hey, while you're out there, listen, just be content. No matter who takes you in, rich man, poor man's house, stay with them. And then leave when they tell you to leave. Hey, learn contentment. And then he, then he says something here that seems like a harsh word. You're probably going to be out proclaiming the kingdom of God, and people aren't going to like you. Right? They're not going to like your message. They're not going to like who you are. So this is basically a pronouncement of judgment on them. So he's basically saying, hey, if you go and someone welcomes you in and you lay before them the forgiveness of Christ, the kindness of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, if you do all of these things, right, and, and you actually share in their suffering, help their healing, and they look at you and say, hey, I don't want any, then you shake the dust and move on. It's like a sign of judgment towards them. You're, you're heaping more judgment on yourself. So here, this is what it means practically here. If you're here hearing the good news of Jesus Christ and you continue to suppress it and refuse it, you're heaping greater judgment on you. Like better not to hear it. Right? But when you're made aware of your cancer of sin in your heart and you hear the cure and you don't go to the doctor, well, you're heaping more judgment on yourself. And so he's saying, hey, listen, there are people perishing. Move on from that. Find the person of peace and keep going. These are people who outright reject you. There's no need to stay there. There's no need to continue belaboring them. Now, this is such a good word for us. Even in our personal evangelism, right? Um, I, I love the, the, the idea of, like, looking for a person of peace, right? Um, there are some people, guys, I mean, you just won't relent on them, and they don't want it. Now, praise God you've opened your mouth. Praise God you've been faithful. I mean, every time you sit down... See that fire? Yeah, well, it's hot. Yeah, so is hell. Right? I mean, you just, you just can't stop. Like, you, you just say that over and over. It's like, it's like after the sixth time, they're like, yeah, I know hell's hot. I mean, I, like, but I'm not responding. I don't really want that. I'm resistant to that. So you move on to somebody else. You start engaging. You start, you start sharing. Um, it's like this idea of person of peace. I, I remember I've, I've learned this a lot. Not because I'm a good evangelist, just because I've been pretty bad at it. So I, 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 I you know, learned, you know, when I, I loved to coach varsity lacrosse at, at, at high schools. And when we moved here, I started coaching at Wayne Valley. And I loved it because it got me out, got me around a lot of, you know, annoying kids and sanctified me a lot and helped me in pastoring. And so um, I, I've run into a lot of different types of kids and then, and then families, right? Because, 
basically you're in charge of the kid, right? You're kind of like the babysitter when you become the coach. And so I had one guy named Matt, and, and he, he called me, you know, Coach Jesus. He made fun of me. He, he said, you know, that I had Holy Spirit in the lacrosse balls I threw. And it just like every joke under the sun, the kids laughed, kid mocked. He wanted nothing to do with Jesus, Christianity, the gospel, right? I, I shared it with him. We talked him back to the locker room, but there was nothing in him. His parents, I mean, same thing. Did not like it, did not want it, did want me involved in his life. Okay, then you have Steve, this other kid. He was, he was a senior when I came in, and he was, he was just strangely super receptive. We would have conversations. He'd ask me about pastoring, ask me about Jesus, ask me about ministry. We started dialoguing, and then one day we're at a, a game. I think I've told this like a t- two years ago. His dad came to the game. He's screaming at me, and I'm on the fence. He wants to know which one's Coach Reed, and I'm like, oh, man, that's, I don't know if I want to raise my hand. I mean, I think I'd rather be somebody else right now, and he comes down, and in the middle of the whole scene, he just starts yelling at me, and you can't talk to my son about your religion. That's your religion. You need your own thing. I said, okay. I said, you know, my son needs to respect me and obey me. I don't want you infiltrating or clouding his mind or persuading him. And I said, listen, let me just tell you, the scriptures are all for the family. Actually, the God of the universe is for the family and for how God made parents and their kids. So it actually teaches for kids to be obedient and submissive. So I'm I'm all for that. So I don't want to do anything that's going to hinder that. So uh, you tell me when you want me to engage or not engage. But there's a God that actually loves even gracious parenting, patient parenting. He loves kids that are submissive, obedient. And so you let me know. And he's like, no, I think you, I think you can talk to him. <laughs> I think I, yeah, no, I... Yeah, I mean, you keep, okay, cool, you know, so, and then every time I saw him at the game, man, high-fiving, hey, Coach Reed, you know, it changed the name, we started having conversations, started seeing his son, there was warmth, there was, there was growth, so what? He was a person of peace, so, I mean, you got to use your brain, I mean, there's certain people where there might be times where he's saying, hey, shake the dust off your feet, just move on, and hand them to the Lord and pray for their soul. Um, there, there's, there's two things I like to say, it's usually always a prayer issue or an information issue. Um, some of you guys, all you do is lambaste them with your ridicule and trying to persuade them and trying to conf- you know, conform them. or pr- and some, Maybe you've done zero prayer for them. And maybe God said, okay, you, you've said it. They know the good news of Jesus Christ. Have you prayed for them at all? Have you prayed the sovereign God of salvation would open their mind, open their heart, and plead with them on behalf of God for their soul? Maybe there are others of you that, that you never open your mouth with them at all, and all you do is pray for them. Maybe God's saying, hey, it's an information issue. Maybe you need to talk to them about it. Maybe you need to ask some conversations. See if they're open. See if they're a person of peace. Don't, don't assume that everyone you talk to is going to outright reject you. These apostles didn't know that. I mean, listen, every conversion is a miracle. Like, like no conversion is, yep, oh, of course they would, and they wouldn't. No, I mean, you look throughout the scriptures, it is crazy that every conversion is a miracle of God, from Mike Reed to Osama bin Laden, miracle of God. There's nothing intrinsically different in me that needs Jesus more or less. It's the same, dead my sin, desperate for mercy, and Jesus Christ opens the heart of both. That's why we love Paul so much, right? The, the, one of the most wicked terrorists in the history of mankind, and here he gets converted by Jesus and saved by his grace and goes on to lead a movement of Christianity that the reason we're sitting in Mawa, New Jersey is a lot due to him and the churches that he birthed. And so just amazing that we got to see people this way. So just ask yourself, who are people of peace in your life? Neighbors at work. And who are the ones that you just keep, and Jesus saying, shake the dust off and move on. There are people that are perishing and dying and going to hell. And maybe you got to talk to the Sarah in the other cubicle because she's actually spoken a little bit with you. She seems a little bit open. Who are the people that you pray for and never speak to? And who are the people you speak to and never pray for? Just kind of ask yourself those questions. I mean, it helps us in our, our growth. And so Jesus here is teaching them a lesson. 
as how to be good evangelists, how to be good preachers. Now, what's crazy is as all of this is happening, King Herod's getting word about it all. <laughs> he hears, wait, there was one preacher, now there's 13, okay? And he doesn't like it, naturally, okay? So here's what happens, verse 7. Now, Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. Remember before this, there were, before these 12 were preaching and healing, remember I said it was just Jesus. Now, at one time it was Jesus and John the Baptist. John the Baptist at this point has already been beheaded by Herod. So there was only one. So all this news gets back because there's this buzz going around of all these other people preaching and healing. And as it reaches Herod's ears, Look at his response. Who is this guy? Great question. Accurate question, right? Who is he? I mean, this is the question that needs to be asked by every human being on planet Earth. Who is he? Who's Jesus? Interesting that he doesn't ask who the 12 are. Who's this man? Who is this? Who's Jesus? He doesn't ask about the 12. Now, now here's why I think he doesn't ask about the 12. Because I think everything that these ordinary men were doing, doing extraordinary things, were all pointing it back to Jesus. They were saying that, man, this power isn't from me. I mean, you get a picture of it in Acts 3, don't you, with Peter and John? They go to the, the, the east gate of Jerusalem, and they're healed a crippled beggar. Right? What happens? The crowds start flocking towards them, going, man, you got crazy power. This is amazing. What do they say? It's power isn't from us. We have, a, we have authority from Jesus who you crucified to do this. That's who it is. Right? So, so listen, they know that there's someone bigger. There's something bigger happening. It's not about these 12 people with miraculous gifts. It's never about you. That's why they, the gifts are great and the gifts are dangerous. Right? That's why being a Christian is great and a Christian is dangerous. It never points to you, it points to Jesus. It's his power through you, his authority through you, his work through you. It never terminates on us, it terminates on him. So here you have the, everyone understanding that. So Herod understands as these men are going out preaching, teaching, healing, they're basically saying the authority's not ours, it's Jesus. So he's going, man, who is this guy that you even attribute this authority to? Meanwhile, the news being reported back is, hey, is it Elijah? Man, remember Elijah? Remember he didn't like, take a chariot up to heaven? Maybe he came back. Herod's, Herod's going, well, no, it's not John because I just took his head off. I mean, who, who is, who's this other guy? Who's this guy that gives such authority and power to these 12 to do these things? Who is this Jesus? They couldn't explain Jesus, and they couldn't explain Jesus unless they straight up acknowledged who he was, which was the Son of God, that he was God. I mean, this is the one who command, commanded creation, who's raising the dead to life, who's banishing illness from the known world in Galilee, right? And guys, this is how sinful depravity works. You have to deal with who Jesus is. And you either can't explain him, or you do explain him and don't admit your need for him. 
And if you don't admit your need for him, then you're trying to find another way to explain him and to explain how to heal your need. Right? So this is, we're just seeing visibly in the human heart what happens when we're confronted with the person of Jesus. And so we'll come up with tons of things. Man, he's a, he's a prophet. He's a teacher. He was just a great messenger. He was a great historian. He was this. He was that. He was a magic man. He was a wonder worker. Here's why it's so important to see what Herod says and what he doesn't say. He doesn't ask what his message is. He knew what his message was. And he didn't like it. He was threatened by it. Wait, there's another king with another kingdom? I don't like that. He also, which is interesting here, is he never asks the miracles. Well, what's he doing? He knew what he was doing. Dude, he was so familiar with Jesus' ministry. People were coming from all over, being healed of diseases, deaf being raised to life. I mean, mute, dying, deaf, blumb. I mean, you got got all of them all across the spectrum. He's seen it. He's seen people come to him, people hearing about it, crossing his path, people celebrating this magic man, Jesus. He, He didn't need to ask what he was doing or what they were doing. So he asked the question, that every single person on planet Earth needs to ask and needs to answer, who is he? The problem is he, the answer is wrong from him. He gets the answer wrong. And the answer is life and death, right? When, you, when, you're, when you're presented with Jesus Christ, you have to decide who he is. And how you decide and based upon what you say with who he is is life and death. And so Herod, instead of wanting his wicked, prideful heart to be forgiven of sin, he doesn't want to admit that. Yet he knows the miracles he's doing. He knows the message he's preaching. So he's trying to find some other way to handle Jesus. Remember back in chapter 7 when Jesus raises the widow's son back to life? Remember the buzz that went around? Remember everyone's going... A great prophet has risen up among us. Remember that? Remember they got it wrong. You're seeing all of this and your conclusion is he's just a prophet? Now, was Jesus a prophet? Absolutely. He was the greatest prophet who ever lived. But Muslims, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, they all believe that he was a great prophet and teacher. So, 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 so there's no distinction there. What you, he wasn't just a great prophet, a great teacher. He was all of those things. He is God. He's the son of God, okay? So you can't land on prophet, moral teacher, wonder man, magic worker and and let that finish up. Like, that's not where it ends. That's not where it terminates. Like, you got to answer the question. You can't get away from it. You can't skirt the issue. And the resurrection of himself validates that he was who he said he was. So, So here it says that Herod now seeks to see him. Listen, he's not going to see him because he wants to sit down for a cup of coffee at Starbucks. Like, that's not, they're not looking to, like, you know, have conversation that's casual. He wants to kill him. Luke 13 reveals that. You get later into Luke, you actually have, what, Pilate and Jesus together. And he, Pilate's going, man, I don't know, this guy's innocent, so who does he send him to? This Herod. And, oh, Herod's been waiting, right? Yeah, send him to me. And he sends him. And what does Herod do? Herod peppers him with questions. This was so interesting. What does Jesus say? Nothing. He didn't answer him. Why? Because he knows he's not a person of peace. He knows his heart so hard. It doesn't matter what he says. 
He already knew who he was. What's, what's the point in Jesus going, yeah, I'm the son of God. Yeah, I'm here to forgive sin. Yeah, I can actually heal your wicked heart too. You would have thought Herod would, would want that to see his sin, but he is just so spiritually blind that he wants nothing to do with Jesus. So what does he do? He mocks him, right? Puts robes on him, mocks him as a king, sends him back to Pilate. This is this idea. You know where Jesus says, hey, don't throw, don't throw pearls before swine? <laughs> don't give what's precious to someone who doesn't understand its preciousness. Like, why, why do you keep throwing the pearls before him? They don't understand it's precious. Why are you getting mad at him? Why are you just stop throwing pearls to him? Give them to the Lord. Jesus is standing there before Herod going, why am I going to keep throwing pearls before swine? I'm going to practice what I preach. That's a great preacher. So he sends him back and, and mocks him. And so this, this culminates with, do, do you know Jesus? Do you know who he is? I mean, what's your answer to that? And not just facts, right? Truth that transforms you. Because even the demons say, yeah, he's the son of God. He's the holy one. This is why Paul will just encourage us and push us. I don't want to just know Christ. I want to know Christ crucified. Why? Because salvation is founded in the no other name. Right? It's not just about knowing about Jesus. It's about knowing his work and knowing what it does so it transforms your heart. So you realize why he came and what he did in the incarnation of God himself. So who do you say Jesus is? Who is he? And listen, if you're a Christian and you're flipping, oh, I know who he is. Yeah, I know he's the Savior. Okay, does that, does, that, does that show itself in your life? Does that bear itself in fruitful ways? Are fruits of the Spirit bubbling up in you? Or do you love just walking around punishing people who don't know about him? Instead of trying to, like, persuade them or encourage them, or you kind of get this self-righteous joy out of telling everybody what you know and what they don't know. Because that's not how it should bear itself on you. <laughs> you realize that your conversion was a miracle. You realize that you were saved by the grace of God. I mean, I, what do you mean? I'm going around judging him and judging her. No way. You have no right to boast in anything. You're not a big deal, right? I should deserve this, and I deserve this, even in the church, right? Man, I should be in this position. Hold on a second. No, we don't deserve anything. To be able to participate in the bride of Christ is an utter treasure and joy. And so we love just to serve, and as God raises, as God calls, as God puts in places, we celebrate that. But that's how a view and understanding of Jesus lays on our hearts. And if you're in this room and you're just saying, I think he's a good teacher, I think he's just a moral guy, I think he did some cool stuff, not going to deny, deny his miracles. Listen, that's not going to resolve the sin sickness in you. That does not cure you. A great prophet does not heal your sin. A great teacher does not heal your sin. A great magic man does not heal your sin. I mean, you need someone who can raise the dead back to life, okay? And Ephesians 2, when we looked at that, says all of us are born broken, okay? So we're all hardwired by nature through the line of Adam to, by nature, choice, and will, sin against the God of the universe, right? So, so none of us want him. This is why my son Jackson loves to bite my wife and I, okay? Because he is just frustrated. The answer is, I'll bite him. Now, where does he get the idea to bite? Chris and I don't walk around biting each other. That'd be weird. I mean, can you imagine that? Walking in our house. Argh. I mean, it's like, just like, 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 that's not where he gets it. Where does he get it? His wicked little heart. He is, he is born broken. Now, he needs to be transformed, right? He needs salvation. He needs a risen Christ to go into his dead heart and make it alive. 
Like, we can't think this whole idea of, like, we got to train behavior in our kids. Well, that works to an extent, but you haven't transformed your kid. So you just modify them to a pattern of religion or a pattern of obedience or a pattern of belief instead of the gospel of Jesus Christ that transforms. So the gospel is all about transforming into a new creation, not a better creation. Right? And so here, listen, please, trust me now, believe me now, or later. You, some of you in this ongoing, unending cycle of secret sin that you think you can kill on your own, if it's that unending lust or that unending bitterness or that unending rage or that un, you just put it in whatever camp you want. Believe me now or believe me later. You can, you can bury it for a time. You can put band-aids on it for a time, but the blood's still going to come up. It's still going to ripple under the dirt. You cannot raise to death life that which is dead. Christ alone can. You need a risen Savior. You need the one who says, hey, I was born of the Virgin Mary, so I'm not from the line of Adam. I have, I have holiness in me. I'm from God. I'm going to actually go on the cross, appease all the wrath towards you in your sin. I'm going to be your substitute. I'm going to do all those things, be your sacrifice. And then the crazy, outlandish, absurd exchange is he takes your sin and then says, here you go. You get my righteous life. You get my righteous obedience. And then his resurrection validates that he does all that. So this Jesus is such an important question that we must ask ourselves. And we must ask ourselves every week. Right? We must ask ourselves all of the time. Who is Jesus? He is God. He is King. He is Lord. He is Savior. He is Redeemer. He's rescuer, he's lamb that was slain, he's appeasement of wrath, he's atonement of sin, he's forgiver of sin, he's gifter of righteousness, he's son of God, not just God. The list could go on and on and on and on. So if he's anything else, we have no hope. So my prayer is that we would respond humbly and not like Herod. Right, that we would see this and be transformed by it and then be good missionaries because of it. Let's ask God for help in that way. Father, thank you that we just see, we marvel at just the truth of your word, at the instruction of your word. Um, God, it's just a, a beauty to see Jesus. God, help our hearts, help our eyes, give us spiritual sight, Give us spiritual ears. God, may our marriage look different this week because we know who Jesus is. May our friendships with neighbors look different this week because we know who Jesus is. May our interactions with those we work with and our vocations look different because we know who Jesus is. May our relations among each other within this family look different because we know who Jesus is. And God, any of this room who do not know the truth of your son Jesus, might you graciously reveal that to them this morning. May you show them the beauty in Jesus, the saving work of Jesus, the wrath-absorbing cross of Christ for them that atones for sin, that blood is shed for them for forgiveness of sin. The scriptures say that's the only way it can happen, as a substitute in our place. May they rejoice that they can have a new family with a God who's king and father. God, would you be kind to us as a church?
as a family. Protect us from evil in our hearts. God, may we look for people of peace. May we beg on behalf of you. We need to beg in prayer, and may we open our mouths courageously. We need to open our mouths. In Jesus' name, amen.